Welcome to Live Your Dream Podcast, episode 32, How to Be Unhappy. I'm your host, Selena Lee. Today's episode is part two of my conversation with Michael Kim, which we started last week. And we are continuing to talk about what kinds of situations lead to feelings of unhappiness and different ways of approaching them. We can learn a lot about ourselves from our emotions, including negative ones, like the feelings of unhappiness. If we pay attention to them and think about why we are feeling a certain way and what it is telling us about what we want. In today's episode, Michael talks about how some very unhappy moments led to some very happy memories of his life and how a very painful experience taught him the importance of loving himself and being kind to himself. As I shared last week, I am sharing Michael's interview in three part series because our conversation was so fun and went a lot longer than I expected. If you haven't listened to part one of this interview, which I aired last week, episode 31, please go back and listen to that episode first since this is a continuing conversation from last week. And next week, I will share part three of the interview. By the way, if you haven't listened to Michael's first interview, How to Make Yourself Happy, I highly recommend you listen to it. It has been one of the most popular episodes ever on my podcast, and trust me, it will be worth your time. I'll have a link to it on the show notes for today's episode. I have learned so much from people I've interviewed, like Michael, and many other inspirational guests I've had on my show. And I started to understand why some people are able to achieve incredible amount of success and live very fulfilling lives, while many others don't live up to their full potential. Have you ever wondered, what should I do with my life? I thought I would have figured it out by now. I certainly have felt this way before. And if you're lost and feeling stuck, you're not alone. And it's not your fault. It's because we never learned in school. Or from our families, how to figure out our career and life. It really broke my heart to know that so many hardworking people are stuck in jobs they hate and living unfulfilling lives. And I know how it feels because I've been there myself. And I decided that I will help many people transition out of jobs they hate and into careers they love and live happy and fulfilling lives. And this led me to developing my love coaching framework. So, love, L stands for learn about yourself. O is for overcome internal obstacles. V is visualize your success. And E is explore and take action. A lot of people I coach have already applied a love framework to their careers and life, and I've seen profound results. So, I decided to create a program to help many more people learn and apply this framework to their careers and lives. I'm so excited to share with you. I'm launching my very first group coaching program. I've taken everything I've learned over the years and designed a powerful program to take people through an inspirational journey of transforming their careers and life using my love framework. 
If you feel stuck and need some help in figuring out your next step and want to live a life with more purpose and joy, this program is for you. So if you're ready for a big change, I invite you to join me to transform your career and life so you can finally take action and achieve what you've always wanted, whether that is a career transition, starting a side project, writing a book, or whatever your goal or dream may be. And please feel free to invite friends who want to be happier in career and life. Everything will be online and on the phone so you can participate from anywhere in the world. This will be a very small exclusive group coaching program and I'll be inviting only three to five highly motivated people to join. So if you're interested, I'll have a link on the show notes or go to selinalee.co forward slash CHA, which stands for Career Happiness Academy. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E.co forward slash CHA. Okay, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael. You've shared with me that some very unhappy moments of your life led to some very happy memories. Can you share with me what those were? Yeah, you know, I actually think that some of my best memories of life uh, were extricated from moments of real unhappiness. So in other words, the typical things that make uh, most people happy, like you know, going and having a meal with somebody you like or enjoying a walk outdoors, it's pretty rare that even though you feel happy doing them, that you'll really remember them because they're not unique. They're like every other happy experience. But I've really found that um, when in a number of times when I was really unhappy, by looking at the whole situation a little bit differently, I really ended up finding an aspect of it that just gave me such happiness um, in, a, in a way that I would just re- really remember uh, you know, for a long time. So I, I have a few different examples. I think um, first example is a, a, the story of Digger Odell. So when I, was, when I first came to the U.S., I was... Uh, basically seventh grade, or not, it wasn't my first time, but it was when I actually permanently moved to the U.S. officially. And I went to this uh, middle school, and it was a really very, the whole situation was just unfortunate because it was a middle school where there were a lot of Irish kids from the projects, uh, basically sort of lower income housing. And I think that like a lot of those types of communities, and it's not, you know, just confined to white Irish. It's really like virtually every community that doesn't have a lot of outsiders. Uh, there was a lot of racism and a lot of xenophobia and so forth. And then, of course, there's kids, so they really, you know, kind of prone to exclusionary behavior and kind right. of you know, bullying and things like that anyway. Mm-hmm. But really, I think to throw fuel on the fire, um, I was wearing like 1970s <laughs> Korean clothes. I remember like the shirt I had that, Look that had like pictures of children singing, like literally all over the entire shirt. Oh my god! And then I had these like bell-bottom pants. Your mom brought them for you. Yeah, well, yeah, because my mom wanted to save money, mm-hmm. she would buy these like really cheap clothes from Korea and then have me wear it. So, I remember one day when I was walking home, uh, I uh, there was a, a bully in my I think he was like a year older than me named Digger Odell. He was actually a really huge kid at that age. I think I was like thirteen and he was like fourteen, but he was you know a foot tall to me and really athletic. And uh, I remember he uh, basically beat me really, really badly. <gasps> and the whole time, I think he, before he did that, he was just yelling things like, you know, my uncle died in Pearl Harbor uh, oh from your people, gosh. like things like that. Of course, I didn't point out to him the 
the difference between Koreans and Japanese. <laughs> Reminded me years later after 9-11, there were people who would attack Sikhs because they were wearing turbans. And I was right. thinking, you know, like you're so ignorant that you can't even act out your bias correctly. And exactly. you're like targeting the wrong people, not mm-hmm. the people you actually want to target out of your <laughs> hatred. Um, so anyway, Digger Odell uh, really kind of scarred me because I really hadn't been in the U.S. that long. Mm-hmm. I really was, was not able to speak English well, or I had a very heavy accent and I wasn't able to speak it. Couldn't and, defend yourself. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, Digger really picked on me constantly. And he wasn't just like just shoving me around. He really just beat me to a pulp oh a lot of the God. time. So um, at the time, I, this, was, this caused amazing amounts of stress and unhappiness. Of course. Uh, but I actually trace a lot of the things I'm really happy about back to Digger Odell. Because really? I became really obsessed with uh, doing Taekwondo. Wow. And I started going all the time and it became my primary activity. And I think when I was, uh, I think about 17, I became New England State, New England uh, champion at Taekwondo, Junior Olympics. I I can't do any of that stuff now. (laughs) But uh, so I qualified for the Junior Olympics and I was, I think, ranked the top 20 in the country and so forth for my age group. And that really helped me get into Harvard. So wow. that was like a major, and, I, and it just happened to be that when um, I was on one of my really important matches, somebody took a photograph at just the right moment of me kicking this guy who was lifted off the ground, and it looked so awesome. Now, the rest of the <laughs> fight, he actually really beat me too, but in that moment, it looked so great. I put it in my college application. Wow. So that plus, you know, I think one of the aspects of my life I'm really happiest about is all the really great friends and amazing experiences I had in the U.S. Army. Mm. And I joined the U.S. Army uh, infantry and went airborne, all because for the same reasons I did Taekwondo, which is Digger Odell made me feel so vulnerable and so worthless that I really felt like, you know, I want to become someone who's not going to be living like this when I grow up. And so I thought one of the things is I really wanted to kind of learn self-defense and become more physically active. And, you know, it's one thing to go and say, oh, I'm going to do Taekwondo or I'm going to go exercise because I feel like I have to. It's another thing to be motivated by image, by memories of just being beaten severely uh, wow. like, while wearing motivator. ridiculous clothes. And uh, I don't know what happened to the girl, though. I, I actually hope you that he... You didn't go beat him up? No, you know, I, <laughs> by the time that it all, I ended up kind of like learning enough Taekwondo, et cetera, I had moved away mm, and I, to a Connecticut and, you know, it, it all kind of fell away into... Uh, ancient memory, but so I don't know what's happened to Digger Odell, but you know I actually think that he, at the time I really hated him. Of course. But I actually now understand, you know, he was really just a kid himself as well, and I'm sure he probably had all kinds of you know frustrations that he was trying to vent, um, and maybe he learned his racist behavior from other people around him. Who knows? Right. But uh, he actually ended up indirectly really benefiting me and and getting me partially into Harvard. <laughs> And giving me incredible experiences in the U.S. Army and wow. incredible friends. So I actually, when I think back to like what actually motivated me to do all those things that were so painful that really built up that aspect of myself that I'm so happy about now, hmm. the aspect of that where, where I did martial arts in the Army and all that kind of stuff. And I really have to credit it all back to Digger Odell. Let's um, send him this recording. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, if Digger Odell, you're out there, you know, I just... First of all, I forgive you, and uh, I hope you've had a good life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I completely understand uh, that, uh, you know, he was just a kid, and 
and uh, he must have had reasons for being frustrated the way he was. And I hope he evolved past his his uh, his views and you know ended up having a happy and productive life. So. Wow! <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I actually talked about in um, recent my podcast episode about my experience of getting bullied in seventh oh, really? grade. Yeah, wow. and it was very um, traumatic experience at the time. And I do remember the girl who bullied me, uh-huh. and I remember her very well. And then we grew up and went to college, and I ran into her. Uh-huh. She didn't know me. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, she was like, "Do we play piano together?" I was like, "No." <laughs> you <laughs> so, played drums on on my head. <laughs> so it was interesting how like the people who were victims right. always remember. Yeah, that's right. But then the abusers don't remember. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. very sympathetic to whenever I hear about any. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the victim trauma, not, not that I what I experienced is anything close to what people experience in other contexts, but mm-hmm. I, I can at least uh, understand a little bit of the psychology of how you know deeply it affects, especially like younger vulnerable people. Right. Um, I thought I think what's interesting though um, is that many people who have experienced something traumatic, like getting bullied and things like that, will just be affected by and stay as a victim and be like oh my God, this such bad thing happened to me. And, and then, but they don't try to like do something about yeah. it. What do you think was it about you that made you be like, okay, how do I, how do I overcome this? Or, you know, how do I move on or learn from this? How do I get stronger? Where, where do you think that came from? You know, I actually think that it wasn't anything good about my personality. It was because Digger beat me sequentially like he kept doing it oh so the motivation was not so much like oh he beat me in the past therefore i'm gonna do something for myself it's that he's going to beat me again next week <laughs> so i should increase my chance of actually trying to resist him mm-hmm. but then when i spent so much time and energy trying to learn how to fight uh i eventually just uh my personality got shaped where i found the u.s army really attractive and then when i went joined it I found the infantry really attractive and I found airborne really attractive. It was just, he had sort of shaped my personality in a way by attacking me uh, repeatedly. Uh, So I actually think that that's what it was. It was a motivation to stop the next beating. (laughs) It's just a matter of survival at (laughs) the time. But so at the time, if that didn't happen, you would not have done the Taekwondo. Right. You may or may not have gone into Harvard. Um, You probably wouldn't have gone into the army. Yeah. So right. it really like shaped the trajectory of your, your life. I really think career. it was really one of the biggest influences. Uh, you know, it's such a critical time in your life that mm. sort of early teen years. I see. So again, thank you, the girl Dale. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess what we can learn from this experience is that when something bad happens to us, we can think about what can we do to either overcome it, get stronger, or learn from the experience, and then to be able to reframe. Yeah. Um, because you can still stay resentful and be like, "Oh, he was a terrible person," and all of that. Yeah. But what you're actually saying is, "Oh, because of the bad experience." Now I was able to do something else more positive with my life, and it was actually turned out to be a good experience. So you're able to reframe what happened to yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with age, I mean, I'm almost 50 years old. Uh, you know, looking at a 14-year-old Digger Odell, I, I kind of <laughs> look at him more as a kid who pr- I feel a little bit bad for him right, in a sense. Right. Like, you know, I'm sure he didn't kind of set out to just to try to victimize other people. He must have had his reasons for wanting to act that way. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, uh, I guess... Uh, concept of finding unhappiness or happiness and unhappiness at two other uh, quick events that came to mind. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm usually, my personality is I don't really stop to like smell the roses because usually I'm like focused on the next thing I have to do. Right. 
so the only times I'm actually forced to smell the roses is if something goes totally off kilter and it goes off plan. Right. Like, a, like an accident. So this was now Digger Odell propelled me into the Army. And this was when I was in the Army. I was doing a land navigation test at uh, Fort um, uh, Lewis, Washington. I was in uh, uh, Mount Rainier. And I remember it was during the summer. And I was incredibly stressed because this land navigation test meant you had to find points that were really far apart in the woods and you had very little time. Wow. So it was like a 24-hour test. You had to run all over the place. It's really hard in the mountains to find these. And this is with the old lensatic compass, the, the little <laughs> right. needle that spins around. Um, I remember at one point I had gotten completely lost and <gasps> it was the consequences of failing was really bad. Wow. And I remember it's just feeling so terrible about myself. You know, like when you're so stressed, almost like, you know, you failed an exam and right. like heart's racing. You feel so bad about yourself. Yep. And at that moment, I was on the side of a hill and Mount Rainier in the summer is like, it looks like a prehistoric forest, like uh, anthills that were like waist high massive plants with like huge leaves and redwood trees that are like, you know, really giant. You, you feel like you're like a, an ant you know, next to them. And, uh, I, and then I remember at that moment, warm rain started coming down. Oh, wow. And, and, uh, and something about that moment, everything looked so green. And I had never really noticed, even though I had been in those mountains for weeks already with the, with the unit training, I never stopped and really looked at how beautiful it was. Wow. And now that I had decided I was so lost that there's no way I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to find my way anywhere. <laughs> you know, it was pointless to even try. Uh, I actually I remember standing at the side of the hill with my rifle and my rucksack, and it started the rain was like really warm. It was almost like you were in the shower. Wow. I remember looking around, everything looked so green. I still remember almost everything about everything that was around me. And I remember thinking, wow, like this is really just a moment I'll remember for the rest of my life. Probably, you know, if I'm if I die, that'll probably be one of the moments I'll remember. It's such beautiful, like natural beauty, and I felt so young and so healthy, and uh, such amazing surroundings, and just the feeling of like letting go. Like I'm so lost now. This is I failed the test, so there's nothing I can do. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, you know, and then I remember everything about that summer and just. Um, uh, like just what it felt like really to be 20 years old. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, it's really one of the most beautiful moments from my life that I remember in terms of the sheer natural beauty and the surroundings. And, uh, and I think that all really happened because it, out of just completely miserably failing something and losing <laughs> control, I finally just got jarred out of my you know, everyday existence. And then just really, I, I ended up in a surrounding that I was really able to enjoy. So, so if, if you weren't failing the test, you wouldn't have taken the time to look around and enjoy the beauty of nature around you. Yeah, I would have just remembered the point after point that I found. <laughs> <laughs> like most people would at the, in those moments of like failure or, you know, it's more normal to be like, just have sense of panic. <laughs> yeah, and I, I had that too. Uh -huh. But then after, after that, when, mm -hmm. once you let go, instead of just feeling regret, because I think regret's probably one of the most useless emotions you can feel. Uh, I really just felt like uh, that moment just came upon me. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, ever since then, I've really, uh, especially if there's something bad going on and I lose control over something, really just try to enjoy that moment um, wow. and capture it, you know, mm -hmm. so you can have something unusual to remember. So did that experience kind of um, teach you to try to stop and smell the roses time to time? Yeah, I think mm -hmm. after that, I really uh, have started, start, start, uh, or tried to, 
um, kind of pause and just look around when something's happening. What I love about your story is that I think just like human experience, there's always moments of panic or failure or struggles or something bad happens to us. But I don't think that you let that kind of affect you or define you. Yeah. You always either try to come up with ways to cope with it or learn from it, overcome it, and then to be able to reframe and see something good in it. I think it's the key is to love yourself, to be actually be nice to yourself. Right. And I think most people are not nice to themselves. Oh, most I, people I are wasn't. terrible. Mm-hmm. I wasn't nice mm-hmm. to myself for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I think that when I started consciously trying to be nice to myself, just like you have to sometimes consciously try to be nice to other people. Right. <laughs> uh, otherwise, it might slip into rude behavior. I right. think you have to do that with yourself. And right. then I think, you know, when you're feeling bad, trying to give yourself these moments um, or extricating something good from it, mm-hmm. I think it's a way of being nice to yourself. And I think that my final example really comes from that when I realized I had to be nice to myself is mm-hmm. uh, my grandmother, who's really like a mother figure to me. Mm-hmm. She raised me. And... Uh, is I think when she died was really the first moment that I experienced what it's like to lose somebody that you love. So right. for people who have not lost somebody they love, it's just can't really understand unless right. you've experienced it. I think I always describe it as a feeling of, I felt like the when I heard my grandmother died, first person I loved that I lost, I felt like the, somebody had turned off the lights in the entire world. Oh my God. And then flicked it back on a, a few seconds later. Wow. And but and everything looked similar, but it was off a little bit. It right. never, it didn't look like it would looked before two that, seconds earlier so when my grandmother was alive. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's how much my grandmother meant to me. And I had men. I talked to her many times about trying to record her audio about wow. her experiences in life because she had yeah. ama- I mean, she was uh, born right in the beginning of the twentieth century and had amazing experiences that will take too long for me to relay to you. Um, and I tried a few times and, you know, she's uh, from the older generation and she's not very talkative and felt very embarrassed. Um, so, and she had like a really thick hatturi and she'd never gone to school. So I think she was always a little self-conscious about how she spoke. And so uh, eventually I just got busy with my own things and I just forgot about it. And then when I suddenly heard she died and I wow. wasn't even there um, mm. and she was in a, um, a, a nursing home for the last like year when she died and she had dementia. Um, and I felt so terrible and so guilty about the fact that I, I hadn't spent the time to go visit her in Korea. I hadn't spent the time to record her and now she was gone forever. And when I looked at all the ways I had spent my time, I definitely could have made time and done it. Right. You know, I had just come up with excuses to not do it. It seemed like so important at the time, whatever I was doing. And I felt so terrible about myself. I beat myself up for a long time. Mm. I still feel sad talking about it now, right. but I used to actually hate myself for it. I felt wow. so bad about myself. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and I even went to Korea and I found the nursing home where she was mm-hmm. and tried to look up her records, but you know, there was no trace of her left. Mm. I basically went down to the parking lot and I couldn't stop crying for like an hour oh in the parking God. lot. It was so terrible. Anyway, so that stayed with me for a long time. And, uh, and then as I got older, I started noticing when I was like, when I turned 40 and like mid forties that I started, um, acting just like my grandmother Really, in, in, a, in a way that I had, just like my, <laughs> the way I speak Korean, mm-hmm. all my, like my mannerisms, my, uh, my, the like folksy country sayings mm-hmm. that she used to always say would come back. And then I realized that, um, you know, 
even though I had not recorded her, uh, you know, she actually has been recorded in me. Oh, in other words, I'm right. I'm really an echo of her. Right. Not not only do I obviously carry her genes and her blood, but she in the last period of her life, she had spent all her time with one person, and that was me. Wow. You know, when she was older and right. kind of raising me, it's just the two of us for years and years. Mm. And I realized that's when she imprinted herself on me, her, right. her personality, all her stories, all her life experiences. And I realized in a certain way, she was recorded inside me. Wow. And that's when I thought, you know, it's almost like uh, I realized my grandmother's actually inside me in that way. Yeah. And I thought, I should actually really be nicer to myself because in a way, it was like my grandmother was there too. That's so So I actually, I actually started being much nicer to myself, I would mm-hmm. say, starting in my early mid 40s mm-hmm. and it's really made me uh, know, much much happier mm-hmm. and a lot of the things that I talked about in the last podcast mm-hmm. that about how to be happy I actually really started putting into practice a lot you know later in life mm-hmm. only when I had that realization and stopped beating myself up about everything right you know? I actually had a very similar experience with my grandma because she raised me too and yeah. I had a very very close relationship with her and I talked about her in my other podcast episode yeah she was kind of similar to your grandma in that sense like she didn't really let the societal's definition of how she, what kind of life she should have define her life so she started taking like pottery lessons when she was 80 years old <laughs> and then left many of her masterpieces when she was 90 and I was just as devastated when she passed and I'd read somewhere that people die two times. One is when they take their last breath and then the second time is when the person who dearly misses them is gone. Oh, that's so, really interesting. So she's still alive. Yeah, that's right. As long as you are here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so then I think um, what you mentioned is really important, you know, being kind and being nice to ourselves and then loving ourselves. But yet that seems to be the biggest struggle for so many people. Sure, yeah. So how do we how do we do that? How do we become nicer to ourselves? Because oftentimes I think we are um, nicer to other people um, and not nice to ourselves. Yeah. And then we don't know how to love ourselves. So how do we how do we achieve that? Yeah, I think that um, at least I don't know. I don't really have a universal answer, but the way I try to achieve it is. I really just try to have only realistic goals of, of improving myself. Mm-hmm. I try not to beat myself up about everything that I'm not achieving. I just try to focus on th- things that I think I can achieve. That way I'm actually happy when I achieve them as opposed to more frustrated that I'm not achieving things. And the second thing is I completely have accepted all my bad qualities. So once you stop thinking of yourself as a hero, Right. And as a protagonist in some story where you're supposed to be good all the time and you're supposed to not have bad qualities. Or if you have bad qualities or you do something bad, you're supposed to feel bad about it. Um, you know, I think once you let that go and you realize you're kind of a bad person <laughs> and sometimes you're good and it's just you are just what you are. Um, you know, maybe if you're in if you're 19 or 20, you can say I'm going to improve a lot and transform myself. You know, I'm almost 50 years old and you know, it's, this is not getting any better. <laughs> Maybe it'll get worse. So once I've accepted this is not getting any better, it's really quite uh, quite liberating. Right. And it's easier to like yourself. Yeah. So when you are going through those intense moment, moment of regret or missing your grandmother and yeah. then beating yourself up for things that you could have done or should have done, yeah. and then how did you come to terms with it eventually? Uh, I, really, I really didn't until I realized that um, I really had so much of my grandmother in me, my mm. worldview. You know, I, I um, for example, I, I remember one of the moments that came to me as I, a few years ago, I was, I uh, used to work in our London office a lot and I met these uh, Russian clients for dinner. 
and uh, I represent a lot of billionaire Russians. I still do. Um, and they took me to this super expensive caviar restaurant um, where like eat little spoons of caviar would be like 50 pounds or 100 pounds sterling, right? Oh it, it's gosh. crazy. <laughs> when, and they would have like shots of vodka along with it. Incredibly luxurious. And they knew all about this caviar and they were very cultured about it. They would brag to each other about this caviar, that caviar. And all I could think about when they were uh, buying it for me was not like, oh, I want to act sophisticated or I'm so lucky to eat such caviar or I want to act, start act, acting to other people like I'm important because I ate this caviar or came here to the restaurant. All I could think about is like, it's like Myeongnanjeot. <laughs> you know, it's it's basically like Myeongnanjeot. And I could I could get this for like 10,001 at a supermarket in Korea. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. And I said, in Korean, I, I, I was thinking to myself, like, that's what I was just thinking. These like Russian billionaires were like going on and on about this type of caviar or that. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's when I realized, oh, my grandmother is inside me. Mm-hmm. That's when I realized that I really should be nicer to myself. Yeah. And just like, you know, nobody likes somebody who's constantly criticizing them right. and, and not liking them. You should be like that to yourself. You shouldn't criticize yourself constantly. You should, right. you know, if you're bad, you should just accept that you're bad and just be nice to yourself. Mm. How do you be nice to yourself? Um, I actually try to uh, stop improving myself mm-hmm. or trying to improve myself in every way. I just, you know, if I do something bad uh, or I, I fail to do something I'm supposed to, I just shrug and I just move on. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really try myself for it. I see. Yeah. And I think that's really great because then you're not feeling so terrible that you're not doing the next thing that you wanted to do. Because I think yeah. oftentimes when a lot of people feel bad about ourselves, then they do worse and whatever that they wanted to do next, right? Yeah, that's so right. it's actually not going to help you. Yeah, and I, and I stopped trying to get everybody to like me. I think that's very stressful. Mm, right. Uh, I think a lot of people want to be liked by everybody they meet right. and it causes them a lot of stress when people either don't like them or they have to pretend to be someone else to try to get people to like them. whole thing is very, very um, tiresome. Right. So I actually don't care that much when people dislike me. So that's also quite liberating. How do you how do you achieve that? I think so many people care so much about what other people think about them that they're really not living their life in the way that they want, but living to impress other people that they don't even like. Yeah. I, I, uh, when I was younger and I needed more things from other people for like career or business, I tried harder to pretend to be someone else to get people to like me. But at some point, I, I thought, you know, it's not really necessary. It's always good to have more, but it's not really necessary. So uh, I'm just going to just be straight with people and just be who I am. And if <laughs> you don't like it, then, you know, it's just it's what it is. You don't have to deal with me. <laughs> I find it hard to believe yeah. that some people don't like yeah, you, Michael. I know plenty maybe, of people don't like me. Maybe yeah. they're jealous of yeah. you or envious of what I you've actually, done. I actually don't even speculate why they don't like me. It's just, you know, mm. it's, it's hard to get someone who doesn't like you to like you. So it's not right. worth the energy. So I just, right. you know. In my experience of coaching people or just um, hearing um, from people about how they can live the life that life that they want, um, what I've often seen is that um, people say, I want to do this, but because of this and that, I can't do it. And when I really hear them, what they're actually saying is like, they, they're actually standing their own way of living the life that they want. There's so much internal struggles that they're essentially like, in their own way of living their dream life because mm-hmm. there's so much fear and insecurities and doubts, inner negative voice that constantly tells you that you're not good enough, you're not going to do this. So do you have <laughs> fears and insecurities and doubts and inner negative voice? And if so, how do you deal with yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, of course, I like everybody else, I have it. But I think I have it to a pathologically small degree. Wow. But not because I 
have any kind of special way of being right or I know more. It's more, I think, that I've kind of internalized the fact that most things in life that are important, it's very hard to collect enough information about them to make all the extra worrying worthwhile. In other words, um, most ways of most decisions, once you've kind of done a certain amount of diligence or worrying about it, any more attempt to delay and get more information is usually counterproductive, at least the way I look at it. And more importantly, the mindset that causes a person to hesitate or make a decision but doubt whether they made the right decision, kind of like a constant buyer's remorse type mindset about life, prevents you from aggressive execution. And I really think for me, good results have come much more from making maybe a somewhat okay decision, but executing it really aggressively with complete faith in the outcome, as opposed to making a decision, but then doubting myself and changing it or um, delaying a decision, trying to worry about it constantly or gather more information. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's work to just basically act based on partial information um, and somewhat on instinct. And then once I commit to a course of action to be just completely driven to succeed in it without really thinking about anything else. Mm. So that's always, it's given me inner peace. So it's almost like you don't allow your thoughts to go there. Right. To have negative thoughts or worry what would happen, what would not happen. I'm also, I'm very good at compartmentalizing worries. So if there's something that should worry me, Mm -hmm. uh, I can actually compartmentalize it and not think about it most of the time. I just think about it whenever I feel like I could productively think of some new solution as opposed to just making myself feel bad about it. Right. I think most people worry about something that may or may not happen yeah. and spend their whole lives worrying about something right. and waste their time like that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you can't affect the outcome, right. all you're doing is taking time that you could be doing something that makes you happy mm-hmm. and then making yourself unhappy. Right. So that's totally irrational. <laughs> <laughs> so when you said have complete faith that it will work out, is yeah. it just a decision to believe that it will? Yeah, faith by definition is completely irrational. It has no reason behind it. Right. So um, I think there's a difference between confidence uh, that something will work out, which is based on rationality and information, and faith that it will work out, which is not based on any reason at all. It's mm. just a feeling. It's an attitude. I see. And I've, faith for me has worked out much better than um, worrying or being rational, or being too careful. I see. Wow, fascinating. (laughs) So even when people have kind of dealt with this insecurities and doubts, and they're like, okay, now I'm ready to take action towards whatever the goal it may be that I want to achieve, people have such a hard time actually taking action, like acting on it. So how do you translate your goals into actions and actually like start doing stuff? Yeah, I I find that uh, I was you have to be driven by either fear or joy. <laughs> That's right. So what, if you if you're doing something because you think you should be doing it, like a sense of moral obligation, most people, um, despite how they want to portray themselves to other people, most people their inner sense of right and wrong and morality is not strong enough to cause you to fundamentally do things you don't like over a long period of time. So they might, they might do things when other people are looking, like not eat dessert when you're in front of other people. <laughs> right. right? Or um, they might do things to show off, like maybe study when your parents walk in. That's right. right? But deep down, if it's not driven by fear or joy, and it's mm-hmm. just something you just think you're supposed to be doing, I, I, most people I've run across, their more, sense of morality is not strong enough right. to actually make them do it. 
Mm. Uh, and I think the first step is just to admit that to yourself. You're actually not such a good person. Right. You're, you're not you know, somebody who can say, this is right, and I'm going to do the right thing. Because whatever made you do the wrong thing in the first place, that's still there. Mm. You know, that's a part of you. Right. So um, you know, it's either something I really fear, something's going to happen. Uh, it makes me unhappy, like the Digger Odell was a great propellant to make mm. me go to Taekwondo practice and deal with all the things in the army I didn't want to. Right. Or you have to uh, connect it with joy. And a lot of people have trouble with long-term satisfaction. So uh, if I have a long-term goal, I try to think about it every day Mm -hmm. of how important it is to me. And in terms of doing what I do, I try to, I think we've talked about this before, uh, connect it with something I like. So I watch movies while, you know, I watch Spanish movies while working out or I, um, uh, if I have something I don't quite want to do at the moment, but I know it needs to get done during the day instead of procrastinating, I actually think of a time during the day when I would enjoy doing it. And I just do it during that time. Mm, like what? Um, so, you know, there's like a, you know, answering emails, for example. Right. Uh, there's a certain hour in the day where if I get coffee and nobody's bothering me and I answer emails, it's actually quite pleasant. Really? When so, is that? <laughs> uh, it's actually usually around 4.30 a.m. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> So for me, that that's pleasant. But if I try and do it later, mm. it's actually quite unpleasant. So I've actually tried to reallocate. It doesn't cost you anything to reallocate tasks to different time slots. So I spend actually a good an hour a day figuring out what I'm going to do that day and when I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And actually saves me a lot of time, more than the hour. You just know what you're going to do when. Yeah. In the beginning of the day, I literally schedule out every minute of my day in terms of what I'm going to do. Wow. And I've... I've allocated it so I'm doing the activities I want at that particular time. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, it makes me happy. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the things that people struggle a lot with is that some of the most important goals or dreams that we have don't have deadlines, right? Yeah. Like some of the important things, um, like your boss tells you to do this by this Friday or whatever, it will get done, right? right. Or like you, you know, are supposed to do some for somebody else or whatever, like it's a yeah. homework, then it will get done. But certain things like your long-term goals or taking yeah. care of your health. Or, or, or audio taping your grandmother <laughs> before she dies. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it never got done. I know. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's a, thank you for the reminder yeah. because that <laughs> now I should do it with my parents. Now. Right. You should do it with your parents. Uh, well, they're, they're not talking <laughs> they're not talking to me there. Yeah. I know that's the extra parent, Korean parents. That's true. Yeah. Um, so how do we make sure that we are making time and taking action towards some of the most impor- important goals that may not have a deadline? So all my tasks, uh, not only do I allocate them during the day, mm-hmm. I actually um, have completion goals for everything that I do mm-hmm. uh, and I put them in my calendar. So, and then intermediate goals for anything that's really important. I see. So, um, and I know if I miss the intermediate goal, it's, it's the whole thing might as well just get abandoned. So it's not going to get done. I and see. then, so I just abandon certain things and mm. that, that relaxes me too. So <laughs> you can complete a project by dropping a project. Right, I right. see. I remember now that we're talking about like you have certain things you do every day. I remember before you told me something about you have a system to keep in touch with, with people that you haven't really you know, heard from or kept in touch recently? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I have a few different systems like that, but mm-hmm. I do try to allocate time uh, every week to think about, well, if I didn't need to work uh, or if I one day I'm not working, who would I actually really want to spend time with? And then uh, I try to actually reach out to those people. Uh, I see. Mm. So Interesting. That's one, one, one of many systems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you at one time told me that um, when people say they want money, what they want is actually freedom. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit more about that? 
Um, yeah, so I think that uh, most people I, I see who are really just working to try to be successful um, don't even really spend the money they make. Right. Okay, so of course, you know, everybody spends money and they get joy out of it. But if you look at people who are really kind of doing things they don't really like uh, because they think it, they've, they've become successful, when they make the money, I think they get more joy out of it, thinking of it as al- almost like a score for how well they're doing. Right. As opposed to, oh, I'm going to take this money and do this specific thing with it. That's why I'm working so much mm. or doing something I don't like. And when people do spend money, what they're doing is really trading it for freedom. Um, and I, I actually think of uh, various things like this have really helped me think about it. Like, well, you're trading, you know, if you're doing something you don't like to try to make money, you're really trading happiness today for some happiness tomorrow. That's right. But tomorrow will actually be when you're older and probably like crankier and you won't be able to enjoy yourself <laughs> as much. So like anything you get in the future, you should get it with interest. Meaning wow. you should actually have, if you're kind of making yourself somewhat unhappy today, you should make yourself really happy in the future. And if you're not going to do that, then you're really losing the whole point of money, which is money is supposed to give you freedom at some point in life. And I don't mean freedom like you never have to work, but increasing amounts of flexibility in how you plan your day. Mm-hmm. And that should be something that brings you a lot of joy. And if that's not the case and you're making money just to keep score, I would suggest you find some other way to keep score and mm. create more freedom for yourself to actually do the things you like. Right. And I actually think the things you like, people don't get ultimately a lot of satisfaction from just doing everyday things all the time. In other words, you know, there's only so many dinners you can go out to eat and so many movies you can watch before it just becomes like everything else. Right. I think the freedom is to really, freedom to direct your life in a direction that you want it to go in terms of what kind of person you want to be, what kind of job you want to do, what kind of service you want to do for other people or who you want to be friends with. I think this is the type of freedom that really, really makes you happy. Mm. Um, the the one other quirky thing I think about in terms of this uh, exchange of future uh, to uh, to present is I, I actually think of drinking as a way to borrow happiness from the future and <laughs> consume it now because you'll have a hangover the next day. That's right. But uh, you know you're gonna basically pull all that happiness to the present <laughs> and and enjoy it more intensely. But of course. Like all kinds of borrowing, you have to pay it back with interest, which is why you feel so terrible the next day. (laughs) (laughs) So always think about what you're doing now, how it will impact your future happiness and whether you're willing to pay the price for it right now. Yeah, that's right. Because you're kind of negotiating with your future self. It's the same person. So you have to have that discussion with your future self about who's going to get what. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So fun. (laughs) So interesting. Um, If you could go back to your younger self, would you do anything differently or what would you want to tell your younger self? Um, so I would basically tell my younger self to do maybe about half the studying I did in college. Wow. Because it now that I know what was not necessary. I feel that way too. Yeah. <laughs> Back then I could only do what I did because I was actually the only first person in my uh, family to ever go to college. Wow. Amazing. Full time. My dad went to night school, but mm. um but so I had no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. And then when I went there, I was so insecure and scared about being at Harvard with all these kids who seem much better prepared. Um, and also, you know, I'd only 
learned English like a few years earlier. That's right. I was so scared. I went overboard and did so much studying because I was afraid <laughs> that I didn't know where the line was for doing well or being able to you know, take the next step afterwards. But now that I know where the line is, I would make an exact study plan, a play plan <laughs> for myself, which would involve about half the studying. Mm-hmm. And I would just party and have so much fun. Uh, and that's probably the best advice I could give my younger self. Wow. Yeah. I would do the same, actually. Yeah. I think most people, when they think about it, <laughs> right. they would do exactly the Kinda same thing. did it. It was like so unnecessary. I right. don't remember 80% of the things I had to study in school. And yet it's so unhelpful <laughs> when we say that to college kids. That's right. Because... We, unless we're able to tell them specifically exactly what the line what. is, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has different abilities and different situations. Mm-hmm. Just telling a young person just to have more fun is completely unhelpful. That's right. So, so if you're a young person listening to this, do yeah. the studying and go to class. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, and then just uh, you know, try to uh, invent a time travel machine and go back and help yourself this and way. And fix it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael. We're going to continue the fascinating conversation next week. So please stay tuned for next week's episode. And if you're interested in learning more about my group coaching program for Career Happiness Academy, please check out the link I have on the show notes. Just for this first group, I'll be including two sessions of one-on-one 90-minute coaching with me for each person in the program, and I will not offer a one-on-one coaching in my future group coaching program. So if you are curious about coaching, this will be the best time for you to participate. In the program, you'll learn how to gain self-awareness by learning more about yourself, like Michael and I talked about today and how you can gain clarity about your goals and how to take action to achieve them. So if you are ready for a big change, I invite you to join me in this inspirational journey to transform your career and life so you can finally take action and achieve what you have always wanted, whether that is a career transition, starting a side project, writing a book, or whatever your goal or dream may be. I'll be inviting people on a rolling basis and I expect it to fill up pretty quickly. So if you're interested, I encourage you to take a look at the link in the show notes or go to selinalee.co forward slash C-H-A. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E dot C-O forward slash C-H-A, which stands for Career Happiness Academy. And reach out to me by filling out a short questionnaire and we'll schedule a time to talk. Filling out the questionnaire does not mean you're signing up for the program. This is just a way for me to learn about your background and who you are and how I may be able to help you. And during our phone conversation, you can ask me any questions you have about me and about the program. If you have questions about my one-on-one coaching or have any thoughts or questions about my podcast, you can also visit me at my website, selinali.co, and please send me a message on my contact page. And please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And while you're at it, I would really appreciate it if you can please write me a review. It's really easy to do it on iTunes, and it will really help me to spread the word and get discovered by new listeners. So thank you so much, and I'll be back soon with another episode. I hope you have a great week.